I'll speak for myself. Like in that amount of pain would have wanted it to end. And he was like, he would put up with all of that to have one more day on this earth. Like he would do it. That's how much he like was full of life and enjoyed this world, you know? And I can wake up in the morning and just be like, Ugh, you know, and just spit on the morning and spit on the day that's given to me out of like stress or or what have you. Things aren't going the way that I think that they should be going. And, you know, having that memory of Troy is like something that can bring me back, like give me some perspective of appreciation of, you know, what would have Troy gotten to have this day that I'm having right now and I'm taking for granted? Welcome to the Tip the Scales podcast, where we discuss running and growing your law firm. I'm Maria Monroy, president and co-founder of LawRank. Today, I am joined by Justin Watkins from Battleborn Injury Lawyers. It's funny because when I first started working at LawRank, although I am one of the co-founders, I didn't I wasn't as involved initially. One of the things that I never thought would happen was that I would become friends with our clients. And I would call Justin a friend at this point, and he's wonderful, and I'm so grateful that he came on the podcast. Now, we talked about so many things. Um, we talked about diversifying your marketing, billboards, radio ads, TV ads, SEO, and social media can all work together to get you more conversions and a higher return on investment. We talked about not being afraid to make changes in your firm. As your marketing begins to work, you may find that the systems you have in place don't meet your needs with the larger volume of calls that you're receiving and being willing to scrap the systems that don't work for you anymore and set up scalable processes that can sustain this new level of growth. I really didn't want Justin to to turn this into a, you know, sales pitch for LawRank, but we did focus a lot on the growth that SEO has cost for him and his firm and all of the good problems that kind of came with it. And then we also touched on some personal things. Um, and we talked about being grateful for every day. Justin's business partner, Troy Atkinson, lost his life to colon cancer in 2016. He was also Justin's best friend. So we talked about all that adversity that came with that. And today, Justin focuses on appreciating every day he has to live, work, and carry on Troy's legacy. This is a special episode for me. So I hope that you guys enjoy it. All right. So tell us your name, title, law firm. Okay. My name is Justin Watkins. Um, I am the owner of Battleborn Injury Lawyers, um, which has been in existence um, in that name for 11 years. Um, our law firm has been open for 13 years. Um, our legal name is Atkinson, Watkins, and Hoffman. Nice. Now, tell us a little bit uh of history, like how you got started, all that good stuff. Yeah, um, I uh, came out of, well, I went to law school, actually, funny enough, I went to law school to advance in my civil engineering career. My undergraduate degree is from Oregon State in civil engineering. Um, I worked for a construction management company, a big company out west called Kiwit Construction, and all of their higher-ups either had uh, JDs or MBAs or, or more. And so I was like, Oh, I'm going to go to law school and move up in this company. So I went to law school and when I got done, I kind of felt like they, they were ready to take me back and start the journey. But I kind of felt like if I didn't practice a little bit, 
what did I really do it all for? Um, so I was down in law school in San Diego. I didn't want to leave San Diego, but um, I had a job opportunity back in Vegas where this is where I'm from. Um, so I sort of reluctantly came back here and I worked for an insurance defense firm. Um, my who would become my best friend was working at a defense firm that was based out of Fresno and opening in Vegas. And so our careers, we started studied for the bar together, we both went to University of San Diego and our careers really paralleled. I went to then work for an international construction law firm doing, you know, big high end construction claims. And he went and worked for a national law firm doing like more corporate litigation stuff. Um, and then ultimately we left our respective firms and started this firm. Awesome. Now tell us the history of the name because I love your name and I really wish every firm started to get away from like the last names and just had to something that wasn't so, I hate to use the word basic, but basic. Vanilla. Yeah. It's vanilla. And I think it's, I can't speak for everybody, but I think it's intentionally vanilla when, when you look at the market research. But so when we started the firm, um, it was Atkinson and Watkins. I, I founded the firm with Troy Atkinson, um, who has since passed away from colon cancer in 2016. He was 39. I'm um, so sorry. And I want to actually come back to that at some point. Yeah. It's, um, he, he started, um, his own office uh, in 2009 doing short sales and loan modifications and I was getting all my ducks in a row at my current firm to join up and I did doing insurance defense construction litigation and any corporate work anything to keep the lights on um, so we were doing that work but we always knew we wanted to do PI work from just a lifestyle standpoint I wanted to not bill hours um, I wanted to be able to pick my own cases and you know, for the first seven years of my career before I started this firm, like I hated being a lawyer. I hated thinking about my day and my time in billable increments. Um, and so when we started the firm, <laughs> my wife was six months pregnant. She, you know, we weren't going to pay me really anything. And, and she jumped in and said, go ahead and do it and, and we'll figure it out. And if we lose the house, we lose the house. If we lose the cars, we lose the cars. It's just stuff, but like happiness and balance and, and, and wellness is all much more important. And if we're going to have a family, I want you to be present and happy and with us. And Did so, you lose the house? No, we didn't lose <laughs> anything, but it's, it, but it, it does, uh, stick with us about how we went through that decision-making process of, you know, we sat down and like, how are we going to make ends meet? And the answer was, what's the risk? So, so what if we lose the house? Like, so what if we lose the cars? Like if it, I told her at the time and, and she agrees, like if all we do is live in an apartment and I've got her and I got, you know, at that time it was going to be one kid. We have two now and that, that's all we have is the kids and a roof and some food in the fridge. Then like all the rest is just fluff like that's that'll work itself out i'm not worried about any of that stuff and we've i think we've kept that i mean of course we have nice things i mean i'm not gonna say what we don't we're gonna build a nice house and all of those things but um but that i think foundation for the starting of our family i think has really shaped how we've developed over the last you know 13 years but so we were doing all that defense work corporate work and individual like debt work for trying to short sell them and um, modify loans on houses um, and we didn't want to lose that work while we tried to go to 
plaintiff's PI. We didn't have any seed money. We didn't have anything to really invest. So we needed to build it at the same time that we were maintaining the work we had. And so we thought, well, we're going to need a name that a, a brand, we want a brand that di- differentiates our practice group from our corporate work. And I remember distinctly, I was driving my grandma who she must've been 90 at the time, uh, to my dad's house. And it's a six hour drive away and it was late at night. And, um, the killers came on and, uh, I have a soft spot for the killers because Troy grew up with the drummer from the killers, Ronnie Venucci, and their new album had just come out. And it, the name of the album, album was Battleborn. And it's a throwback to Nevada. It's, it's a little, they're paying homage to Nevada, the Battleborn state. Um, and I was like, oh, that sounds good. And I, and I texted while driving. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Troy had said, uh, hey, what about Battleborn Injury Lawyers? And he like, right back. That's stupid. And <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. And then like maybe five or ten minutes later, he responded back, wait, I think I like it. And I love it. Me too. And and over the years, I mean, I've only, I'll, I only like it more. And it's so funny. My kids have just grown up like surrounded by Battleborn. And, you know, for them, it's it's just so funny that just Battleborn is synonymous with our family and growing yeah. up. You know, I, I, I love every aspect of it. Yeah, that's amazing. Now, you're in one of the most competitive cities, in my opinion. It's just, it's so competitive here. There are so many billboards. I mean, I remember the first time I came here after owning Law Rank and being like, wow, that's, I'd never noticed how many billboards there were here. What was the first marketing that you did? So the very first thing I ever did to try to get a PI case, in addition, I mean, obviously, Troy and I had been lawyers for seven years before we started the firm. So we had some contacts out there. And it's a funny thing. Once you've shown the world you have the courage to do something like this on your own, the energy of the world sort of oh, rewards absolutely. you. Oh, I'm a huge, you know this, I'm a huge believer in this. Yeah, so the people who wouldn't have given me that case if I was working for a big company, corporate firm now we're like oh justin started his own firm let me see if i can give him this case you know so we get some cases here or there but very spotty so the first marketing effort i ever made was a a networking lunch group called bni where and mine was actually a breakfast group so every gosh i think it was every tuesday at 6 30 in the morning we meet for breakfast and they have one person designated for every sort of not every but for different trades uh, in industries and there can be no overlap. So there's a realtor, there's a plumber, there's a electrician, um, and there's a lawyer and I was, and there could be multiple lawyers as long as they don't step on each other's toes. Right. And so I was the PI lawyer there and I was just trying to make it work. You know, we get a couple cases here, we get a couple cases there and your job in these things is to, you're supposed to provide referrals too. You're supposed to open up your network of people, you know, your Rolodex to the people in that group. So, that when somebody says, hey, I need a plumber, you say, hey, I got a guy. You you, you become that guy. I, I bet you were good at it because you send me your competitors. So I can't imagine that you weren't good at connecting people. I feel like you're really good at that. Uh, I think that like we we, we talk, you know, you, you live here now. So we, we talked often and I don't think that um, me going into like a room and grabbing 
two people I don't know and being able to make an introduction and get them taken off together is a strength of mine. That's not where I excel. But if I know two people and I think that they can help each other, then I, I like doing that. Um, and it's obviously is a skill that has developed a lot over time. I mean, I've done a lot of things in the last 10 or 12 years that have changed my personality at a, as a core. I mean, I ran for political office and served in the legislature. You know, I ran a business and I had to market and I went to conferences and I did a bunch of things that were outside my comfort zone to make something happen that I wanted to happen. And I, I just don't think you can go through those experiences and not be changed a little bit. Absolutely. And it doesn't feel good too. As long as I'm changing towards the, the direction that I want. So to, to answer your question, like as long as I'm making changes, I think deliberately and with some, you know, insight into who I am, then then I'm then I'm, I've been super happy with my progress over the course of, like I said, about 10 years. And, um, you know, I I think you just get different challenges as you get older and and hopefully I can have some level of humility that I'm willing to recognize that I need to constantly change and improve and better myself. And now a big part of what I do, um, it is surrounding the policy making, um, decisions on what happens in the state of Nevada, which if we really want to go off on a tangent is something that like, I think lawyers, um, I don't even say shy away from, ignore and can have the single biggest impact on what you do on a daily basis is what laws are being made in the legislature that you probably don't even know exists. Is there a particular law or laws that you're worried about? There are every single legislative session, a ton of bills that affect what we do as lawyers and what and affect our clients and prospective clients or people who are trying to access the court system. And there's nobody who can speak with expertise other than the lawyers as to what a draft bill would look like if it were be to be implemented in court. Because judges can't lobby for bills. You know, they can testify, but they're not. They can't persuade. They're they work for the government. Now, tell me about your first commercial. <laughs> Have you seen it? No. Oh, okay. Well, okay. So you asked me. Uh, what was the first marketing? The first marketing was like literally me. I don't you call know. that marketing. I would, I would argue that's more like grassroots. It's definitely marketing though. Like you, but at, when I say marketing, I mean like billboards. Cause just for everyone listening, yeah. you guys do billboards. You do trucks within motion, which are basically billboards. You do SEO with us. Radio. You have radio. You TV, guys. A little bit of TV. Yeah. Not TV commercials, but TV segments that we and do then, on the news. And then you have a radio show mm -hmm. that you talk about what? Sports and yeah, law? Yeah, like legal issues and sports. I mean, I have a I have a, a reoccurring appearance on a show. The show's not mine. Um, that I do one hour a week where we talk legal issues and sports. I've been doing that for a very long time, actually. It's one of my oldest marketing things that we've done. Um yeah, so, but but I consider, like, getting out of this office and getting into the community the most effective, cheapest, best ROI marketing that you can do. And if you're not doing that and you're just trying to throw everything else out of it there, I mean, will it work? I mean, I guess. Will it work for a positive ROI in a competitive market like this? I, 
I don't know. I don't know. We've never not done it. Right. You know, um, but I would think it would create a very difficult, much more difficult way about trying to to market your brand. You know, I think they all sort of work together. Um, oh, no, absolutely. They so, all work together. For sure. I thousand percent agree. So our first one is so. Again, me and Troy both being natives of Las Vegas. And when you're, four, I'm 43. When you're 43 years old and you're a native of Las Vegas, if there's anybody that's 35 years or older, I either know them or I know one person away from them. Like the, the degrees of separation of Vegas natives is tiny, tiny. All I got to do is say, where'd you go to high school? What year did you graduate? And I know, I either know you or I know one person who knows you. We had these local connections. We had these people we grew up and went to school with in high school. And one of the one of them worked at a TV station, and he was basically like, "Hey, man, if you guys just throw us like a couple hundred bucks, I can throw you on basically a whole bunch of freebie commercials all through like the middle of the night, right? Like from like 11 p.m. to like 4 a.m. on like the CW and the like my LV TV, right? Like we're <laughs> I don't even know that there's an audience." And we're like, cool. And they're like, it hey, will shoot the commercials for free. And we're like, dude, rad. Okay, let's do this. So we came up with these ideas that obviously we can't compete on the frequency, the budget, the channels of 12 different firms that are advertising constantly on TV in this city. Um, and so we were thought, well, we've got to be clever with it and funny with it. And so we came up with the idea. It's like, Hey, we're going to try to say like getting a little boutique firm like ours matters to you because we're going to, we're much more likely to fight for every little dollar on every little case than the big volume based firms. And so we came up with this, you know, Atkinson and Watkins, every single dollar. That was the, that was the pitch. And it, it started by us using these rakes in a briefcase with suits on to rake cash into suitcases and then like either in some in a, I was in a little breeze or windstorm a dollar flew by and I grabbed it and Troy picked a dollar out of a out of a tree and it was like every single dollar you know matters and and showing it to the camera and like they worked like the ROI was actually positive on those TV commercials. Funny enough. It I mean, you really only needed like one case to be ROI positive though. That's cool. true. Yeah. We didn't, we didn't need too many, but like what I found out was, and, and I, I suspect that this is common is that when you become a new advertiser in the TV world, the first thing that happens is all the people who got rejected from the other places call you. So mm. those are the first calls is, Everybody who got their case dropped or rejected or whatever. And we were like, okay. On this, some of them, we're like, we'll take them. This we, is why I hate the second page of Google because it's the same thing. <laughs> yeah. It makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah. You, you worked your way through the first. Yeah. So we did that and it was fun and it was funny. And then, um, but based out of that, uh, we were contacted by um a lot of different people who saw again a new marketing firm they're like well, they want to have lunches and all this stuff but one of them came in and they were with espn radio and troy and our huge sports fans and we listened to espn radio um and so we were like oh we'll take this meeting you know even though we don't have a budget we can't spend any money and so it was a a young new ae for espn and we're like oh dude we don't have any money what's an ae account executive okay Oh, okay. Okay. I knew uh, that. (laughs) So, you know, we got to be like friendly with her because she was like our age, you know, we're, I think I was 31 at the time and she must've been like 25 and Troy was like 33, 34. And 
so you know i think we we bonded a little bit and she's like hey let me get the host in of one of the radio shows because he's been talking about trying to get a lawyer in on the show and i think he'd really like you guys and you clearly know sports you're big sports fans that'll go a long way with him so let me have him in we said okay and so it turned into basically the same sort of deal which is like okay listen i can't do it for free you gotta throw me a couple hundred bucks but frame up a segment of the show around you guys and i think you'll help my show be better because i'll have some context um and it'll help you guys and what have you so we started doing that show and that was 12 years ago i've been doing that show for 12 years and we got nothing on that show nothing not a call for like i'm gonna say 18 months and in the in the middle of that 18 months we, one little advertising thing we had done is get on this rotary call list so every eight calls that this tv marketing company was doing we would get and they were all garbage every one of them except for one that we thought this might be something and it happened to be up in sparks nevada which is up near reno uh we flew up there we signed the client up and it turned out to be our biggest case over the course of the next 10 years wow that's crazy and so that's when we got that we decided okay we need to change the name we got to have we're going to advertise more we're going to reinvest all these dollars except we paid off our school loans reinvest all these dollars right back into to pi practice so we developed the name that's where we came up with battleborn um we dealt the logo um which we still use today i mean 90 percent of it's almost exactly the same um and we branched out we were doing radio we were doing um still a little bit of the tv stuff that we were doing and um you know we became we and then we got our first round of billboards so yeah that was my next question when was the first time that you did billboards let's see so our first billboard i still have the little you know they give you the little plastic uh miniature version of your board oh really yeah i've got it down in my office i still have the original um so that must have been 2013 got it so 10 years ago and now there's something that you guys have changed about your billboards this year well, we changed, I think, about everything we did, um, you know, and it goes back to your first initial point, which is how you said you liked our name Battleborn. I liked our name Battleborn, too. It was intentional. It was going to be a brand, and it was not going to be people. When you talk about this market is flooded with lawyers, it absolutely is. And in my opinion, my assessment at that moment in time was it is flooded with so-and-so and so-and-so, two white dudes staring at you on a billboard or on a TV commercial right. uh, in their blue suits. Like, that was every single one of them. And I didn't know why that was. And so I tried to do some market research. And I don't even know if I did it right. I don't even know how I found this. Maybe I just Googled. But I, I feel like I dug in some deep. And what I found was is that the theory was that retaining a personal injury attorney was a healthcare decision and was typically made by the matriarch of the family. That's what the data said. And it was something along the lines of 60 or 70% of those decisions are made by the mom in the family. And, you know, the dads or the kids reluctantly go because mom has told them that they must go. And so we thought, yeah, and that's, probably why everybody's marketing in this vanilla form to become like non-confrontational and they pound away on daytime TV. That's what's happening here. And it sort of made sense to us. And we said, but if that's 70%, then that means there's 30% that's not like that. Right. And if we could just get a sliver of that 30% at a fraction of the cost, maybe we can compete. So 
We intentionally created a brand. We intentionally did not use our faces and we intentionally made it masculine. And, you know, I mean, and we were on ESPN radio, right? We were on media that was masculine. Well, it's kind of like when divorce lawyers will do like divorce for men. Yes. And it's like they're only targeting men. They will only represent men. And those those commercials did exist at the time, and that was like part of the analysis too. It was like, oh, you know, these guys, they only market towards men and divorce. This may be different, and it may be a smaller segment of the population, but again, we don't need that whole segment. We just right. need a lane, and we and need did to it own work? it. It took some time, but yes. Like, it's so funny. Every, t- every once in a while, every couple months, somebody will come new on like ESPN radio or Fox sports radio here locally. And I'll hear a new lawyer radio ad. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Oh, this isn't going to last long because we just, we own, we own it. Like the people who listen to ESPN radio have been listening to me and the show for 12 years. And they know it's not fake. They know that like, that's who I am. They know when they call that they actually meet with me and that when I meet them in the conference room, I'm talking exactly like we're talking right now, which is exactly how I talk on the radio. And I don't know, really I, I really can't fake it. I don't have any other way to be. This is who I am. And yeah, you very much are who you are. I think so. <laughs> I, I, can't, I wish I could. You know what's funny about that? What sucks about that is when I have to read radio commercials, I can't read them. I just have to pull it off the top of my head. I mean, I can have some bullet points, but right. if I have to read it, I can't do it. Let's go back to this year. You guys finally decide to put your faces yes. on the billboards. Yes. And for most of the billboards, you, it's either you or Matt. For all the billboards, it's either me or Matt. I thought there was one where it was you There's guys were. There's a truck oh, it's a in truck. which I'm on one side and Matt's on the okay, other. Okay, but I count that as a billboard. As a okay. mobile billboard. Yeah, but there's there's no there's not a single image that exists with Matt and I both on it. Oh, you mean it's, oh, I get it. Right. One side of the truck and the other. Correct. Not on the same side. Yes. Oh, God, I got it. I didn't know that. I didn't get that. Okay. Although I did just, funny enough, I did just get sent a picture from uh, a colleague who took a picture at this intersection and one corner is Matt and then I'm literally on the other corner really? of the same intersection. Yeah. Do you think it confuses people? No, part of it, part of what what finally sent me over the edge. I mean, number one, I like we hired you guys. I believe in what you guys say, and I and I have to be willing to trust you or your guys' opinion on what we should do. And it was your strong opinion that we needed to put our faces on there. I talked to some other people, and there was. Um, uh, a group or a guy that I know does a lot of focus grouping and he said he focus grouped the the same sort of idea mm-hmm. no face face and the data said 20 to 30% increase by using a face that it's a trust factor that a brand without a face they don't trust for professional services well so, but wait how about are your cases up do you think it's worked i think it has worked yes okay. i think it has changed things a little bit you're welcome <laughs> but uh, but my point was is like you had a strong opinion on it i have to trust you i'm hiring i'm hiring you and i gotta let you do your job you know um and so to all other of my clients that are listening you heard justin tell me so now we're third you're 13 years in yeah what are some of the challenges that you're facing now because you guys have grown a lot I and mean, i see your billboards 
all the time. Yeah, so up until COVID, I think we had a pretty linear growth. We grew every single year in revenue. We grew every single year in profit. We grew every single year in people. And we grew every single year in cases. And that changed in 2020. That was the first time that there was sort of a leveling off and then a decline. Um, And all of those things, except for people. We didn't get rid of any people. And um, so we, we made the decision to try to market through that which was, I think, the wrong decision in retrospect, but, but we did. So, you know, you talk about, like, what the challenges are. There was, a, there was a whole bunch of challenges that were created by the growth that resulted from SEO. I mean, from hiring you guys. That's right? amazing. So I'm just going to say so that. Happy. Right? Um, that some of which were probably foreseeable and some of which I think were unanticipated, some of which I've never even talked to you about and you'll be, I think, surprised by and I think will be helpful towards helping future prospective clients. Number one, we didn't have an intake department to handle phone calls and like we had to hire people. So like immediately, like our call volume, we have this call log. This is how archaic we still are. Like every call that comes in, it gets written down on this sheet of paper. Oh, really? Right? Yeah. Written. Written. Hand, by hand? By hand. We got to change uh, that. No, we're, we're working on it. We're, we got to change a lot. We're, we're literally changing a ton of things, right, at the same time. But we used to get, like, down to the bottom of, like, one page on a daily basis. And this is all calls. You know, this is opposing counsel. This is everybody. But so it would be, like, somewhere between 25 and, I don't know, I don't know, 40 calls a day, something like that. And now we go, you know – just the other day, my receptionist is like, we go three and a half pages deep every day. That's now. amazing. You know, so I love like, that. so we have three people now who are there to just answer calls and handle intakes and get the prospective clients set up and scheduled in meetings and talking and access to lawyers. So that's, that's number one. Um, people, we needed more people. We had to hire more of our pre-lit claims people because we didn't have enough to handle the influx. And that wave, right, that's, that's where all the cases start. And that wave is going to work through lit. It's going to work through accounting, right? And so we're going to have to have more people, but we already know that, and we've already started preparing on hiring more people down the line. Um, So that was one challenge, totally foreseeable. You hope that that's the case because that means everything's working. Um, You know, the in line with that, one of the unanticipated challenges with that was call etiquette because up until this point, when somebody called Battleborn Injury Lawyers, they were looking to call Battleborn Injury Lawyers. Yep. They knew who we were. They were calling with a purpose, and there was no sale to be made. It was already a done deal, and, they, and nobody called like for random shit, right? Now it's the, cold. It's, it's a cold lead. It's co- well, it's cold. But on top of it, it might be there. Yeah. There might be eight calls that have nothing to do with anything. Like yeah. I got a call today. This, this case comes out of Seminole County, Florida, where, you know, I had this, I don't even remember what it was, something about, like, being in a detention center and, like, something got taken. He didn't get the property back when he got released from detention. And I'm like, yeah, you know, like, like, I mean, people think we're a law firm. Like, yeah. we get a bunch of random calls. I can't imagine. Yeah. And it, it's funny because a lot of clients complain. When yeah. this starts to happen, they're like, hey, we're getting a lot of, you know, low-quality leads. I'm like... Okay, but are you getting quality leads? Are you signing cases? Yes, but can we get rid of the low? And I'm like, that's not how it works. Well, and we talked about this. Like, I want the, I'll take the low quality leads. Like, I'll take all the calls. Tell us why. Because 
uh, still to this day, the number one referral source that exists in this firm by a large margin is past client referrals. I want to change that. So, 40 to 50% of I wanna calls I want to make it in. SEO. Well, I, I hope that you're right. I mean, I hope that that happens. But 40 to 50% of the calls that come in, uh, cases that sign up, I shouldn't say calls that come in, cases that we sign up are past client referrals. And if I can get somebody who's getting the runaround at every single firm that they call or they don't know what to do, and I can just simply treat them with respect or have my team treat them with respect and say, I'm sorry, that's not something that we do, and give them two or three names. We have a referral source that we can email right out to them so they have a couple names that they can try that may be more in line with what they're trying to do. Or sometimes it's that's not a case. And explain like, why it, and, it's not a case so they keep calling every single firm on the first page. Right. Or, and I think this is one that, like, one of the things I love about your company is they've been, um, I like to think I'm an outside-the-box thinker, um, and your company is so willing to jump outside the box with me. They're like, okay, Justin, let's go. Like one of the things that I want to do in, in response to these calls is there's two or three reoccurring themes that happen on some of these calls that we can't help with because there's no financial feasibility for us. So like, hey, I was in a wreck. They're not giving me a rental car. My car is not being fixed, but I'm not hurt, right? That one happens with regularity. I'm not going to say like often, it's just regular. And I'm like, hey, guys, you know, your team, like I, I want to create a, a self-help sheet with like instructions of like what you can do to help yourself. And they're like, oh, if you do, we'll create like an infographic, an infographic for that. Yeah. And, and so just give us the information. We'll throw it together so that you guys can send that out, which is totally not what you guys need to be doing. Yeah. You don't need to send that to me. Like, but I don't know how to do an infographic. And it's super helpful for me. For and you we're guys not to charging do you anything. Else, right, exactly. Right? No. Yeah. So it's awesome. And like to hear how enthusiastic your team was to hear that they're like we love that and we think that's going to help you guys like right. continue to get more calls and they're just as invested in my success as i am you know um and so like i want those calls i want to be able to show them this professional foot of like we are handling your call professionally we are respecting your time by not you know lawyers love to say the to tell people um you, you may have a case, you know, they, you may not, blah, blah, blah. They don't like to commit. I, I don't think you have a case, or at least it's not a case I would be interested in, in taking, right? Um, sometimes I say you absolutely have a case, but it's not a sure winner, and I'm lucky enough to be in a position right now where I'm, you know, I can take pretty much sure things. If I was earlier on in my career, I probably would have taken a flyer on a case like this that has Do you a, send them somewhere? Yeah, and I send them to somebody who I think is in that position that I was 10 years ago. Um, and maybe they get helped and maybe they don't, but at least I, most of the time I think they think, oh, like, it, mm, okay, maybe I'll do it. Maybe I won't. But now I can send, now we can give this professional response to the world and specifically to Las Vegas and Reno and in the state of Nevada that says like, Hey man, if, if you want to know if somebody can help you, you call these guys and they'll shoot it to you straight. And they'll give you the information they need. If they can't help you, they'll tell you. If somebody else can help you, they'll, they'll lead you the right way. It should be your first call. And it happened literally the, uh, last week where a guy called in. He had an existing case. There wasn't anything financially in it for me if I were to take over the case. And in fact, it would probably delay things. All the offers have been made. All the settlements have been made. It would probably just delay the whole process. He hated his lawyer. And I was like, man... 
I, I literally use this analogy. You're rounding third and heading home. Like, just tough it out for the next couple of weeks, and you'll probably be good. Um, and at the end of it, you know, he was like, well, what can I do? I said, oh, you can leave them a review if you don't like their services and you don't want people to to use them. He said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you a five-star review right now for just taking the time to explain all this stuff to me and tell me what's going on and to not, like, try to steal a case from somebody else. And there you go. I got a five-star review Thank and I never even took that. a case. <laughs> right? I mean, that's, like, the number one thing that I tell everybody get us reviews like all of our clients i'm like just get us reviews like it's like the one thing that i need you guys to do so i was actually gonna ask you are you asking these people that you're helping to leave you a five-star review we do um like uh, like that's an extension of that challenge of phone etiquette and phone processing is like we we've now had to hire a 24-hour answering service. We didn't have to do that before. Um, if somebody called at 9 p.m. and we called them back, they were going to stick with us because they were they were looking for us in the first place, right? right? Like I said, it was they weren't shopping around. It wasn't a cold lead. So we have a 24-hour answering service now, and and so when we call back, like you know, I finding I have to give specific instructions. Okay, what's our process for calling people back? What's our process for asking for reviews? The other challenges is our practice management software was not up to cost you know like we can't we couldn't use it effectively in the exponential growth so we're changing that we're changing banks and we have quickbooks desktops so we're going online um we're making all those changes as well but you also got to remember that like today as compared to nine months ago when we started this my active case cases open at any given time right now is up 55%. And you guys close out cases super quick. Very quick. Can we talk about that for a second? Because sure. you guys are like super efficient. So, um, you know, let, let's talk to the audience of like the smaller firms who are wondering like how to build cases up and whether or not they're like on the right track. And if you go to any sort of lawyer conference or seminar, he's like, how many cases do you have? And like, oh, I've got 300 cases or I got 700 cases or I've got a thousand cases. To me now, knowing what I know, not that important. It is a metric, but it is not the metric. You've changed my mind on this metric. So to me, I want to know two things. How many cases did you open last year and how many cases did you close? Right? So if I open 500 cases in a year and I close 300 cases, right? Then I'm, tr- I'm trending the right direction, right? I might've only had 300 cases to close because I'm opening so many new ones. But if I, and, and my active case load is 700 cases, okay. <clears throat> but if I have, every, it seems like everybody's answer. It doesn't matter how, who you ask like around town of like this small to medium sized plaintiff's injury firms. How many cases do you have? I have 300 cases. Everybody says they got 300. Before, when I was doing all this advertising, when I first started, and I hear somebody say 300 cases, I'm like, what? You, you don't advertise. You're not, you know, like, how does, how, how the hell do you have 300 cases? Is something, you know, nefarious going on? <laughs> uh, which and, sometimes. Which in this is. town is not uncommon. Um, but the reality is, is like, what happens is in a lot of these firms is if they can't settle the case right away. Uh, well, let's, uh, let's say they're not even trying to settle the case right away, right? They're like waiting until their client's all done with treatment 
Then they started a negotiation. And then if the negotiation doesn't go well, then they pin on their calendar two-year statute of limitations and they'll worry about it then, right? And so, yeah, maybe they have 300 cases, but they're opening like 50 to 100 a year. So they're at one-third or one-sixth of their total caseload on a yearly basis. So they don't have like a great amount of revenue generating cases on the year. And they're closing out like, you know, less than half of that. But wouldn't a good question be, this is what I'm asking now, how many active cases do you have? And what is the average amount of time that it takes you to close Mm -hmm. the case? Sure. But that question isn't always indicative of just how efficient you can be either. I do like that question, but here's what I really want to know. I keep track of two timelines. One, case open to case close. Okay. Okay. That's a great one. Mm-hmm. But what's more important is from the date medical treatment is completed or we've reached a maximum medical improvement, right? Like until like where I know it's time for me to make the demand, either because treatment's going to go on forever and I got a future recommend or treatment has stopped. From that time until I have a check in my client's hand, how long does it take? That to me is the effectiveness of the lawyer, right? Because sometimes, sometimes we get that number to be a negative, hmm. right? If I know what the policy limits are, let's say I have a hundred thousand dollar policy, and I know they went to the hospital, and the hospital bill is a forty-eight thousand dollar bill, right? Okay. And they're still treating; they're going to a chiropractor or what have you. Grab the hospital bill. I send it up to the insurance company. I have nothing else. All I have is the hospital bill. This is forty-eight thousand dollars in lists whatever kind of injury they had fractured whatever it is okay and now i get the hundred thousand dollars they're still treating i've already got the settlement done and now i'm in a position where i can really maximize how much money i put in their pocket because if they used health insurance health insurance is being billed but health insurance hasn't asserted a lien yet so they're not going to get paid back so i can pay my client and not have to pay the lien and they owe no 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 money on the bill and under that metric I just described to you, it's a negative day. They're not even done in treatment. Got it. Interesting. The one challenge that I want to add on to that we never talked about was completely un- unanticipated and has really led to kickstarting getting the new practice management software in was the calls I'm getting from out-of-state lawyers who want to refer somebody to us, right? And if I don't have that intake that I can send like from my practice management software to incorporate them in, they think like I'm in the dark ages, right? I got to put the best foot forward. And so it has really, we didn't foresee that. And it's a more difficult case. It's a more inefficient case for us to have an out of towner who is, got hurt here, got significantly hurt, went back home, is treating, and now has been referred by an attorney because I don't know any of the doctors there. I don't know any of the medical treatment there. I don't know. Like, I got to figure out what their insurance rules are there. Does their UIM cover them here? Like, what are the UIM rules in And you're in Vegas, so it's going to happen a lot. And so, yes, and it has been happening a lot. And Matt and I are like, oh, our practice management software can't handle this. We look like dunces. So... The practice management software needs to come online for that. But then also, 
you know, I had to be more involved in like the national organizations like AAJ to get on their listserv board so that I had resources to ask people in these other states, like who, how do I find an ortho expert there to testify on this stuff? Like I need, I need expert reports and reviews of these things. And I don't know anybody in these jurisdictions. Now I have a question. Why did you and Matt ultimately decide to go with us? Well, the biggest, the single biggest factor was that you had lawyers write content. So that was number one. Um, the little bit of, I'll say testing we had done with prior SEO and a little bit of work we had done with prior SEO. Number one, they did all SEO for all types of companies. You guys were focused on lawyers. That was a big point. Number two, whenever they would try to write up some content, like, I don't know where they were getting it from, but it was not, I didn't think, presentable on a website f for a law firm. It was inaccurate information or half-assed at best. You know, it, it looked unprofessional from a lawyer's right. website to be saying these things in this fashion. And so, like, I could just, I, I spent so much time redlining their work that I could have just wrote it myself. And it just, it, it, it was not a helpful service to me. So if that was going to be the case again, then I was going to, you know, tell Matt like, Hey, if you really want this, then you've got to be the person that reviews all this stuff. Cause I've already done it and it sucks and it takes up a ton of time. And so having you guys come in and say, our clients don't have to review this stuff. We'll show you some samples. You could see what we write and it's written by lawyers and you're going to be fine with it. And, and like, edited by lawyers. Yeah. So and you like, get that you're going to be fine yeah. and you're not going to ever have to read this stuff if you don't want to. Now it turns out funny enough, I do like get into what your guys' content is because one of the other outside the box things that your, mm, your I know firms all this. been happy about is I'm like, Hey, I got this studio. So, I record videos based on the content that you guys write. Yeah. And so you guys send me a monthly spreadsheet that says, here's the topics that we think are the most important. And some of it doesn't really work out, right? Like so, because of the way Google asks questions, sometimes you guys are writing like three or four questions that to me is really one question. And it's mm -hmm. hard to do video content like differently or the same for four things. So uh, we're still figuring that out, but I'm able to kick out like, 10 videos I think we do a month with you guys where I, I give you 10 videos that are in line with the content that you guys have created. So now we have YouTube embedded in there and, and another consequence or uh, another challenge that we faced is we didn't have a content recreator. We didn't have a video editor. We didn't have somebody do the graphics and all that stuff. So now we have somebody uh, we didn't hire in house. We hired, you know, a, a consultant to do it. Um, and so now we send the raw videos to a place in Denver. She edits them, sends them to your team. Your team posts them. And then she re-edits them again for social media posts that are a little bit more. I set aside one hour. It's, what do we do it? One hour, of, it's a month. All right. So now I want to go back to Troy. Okay. I've never, I mean, I know he died. I yeah. know he had colon cancer. Yeah. But how did that impact you? both as a business owner, personally, because he was your best friend. I mean, that must have been, like, you lost two super important, you know, figures, I guess, in your life, your business partner and your best friend. Yeah, so Troy, uh, 
and I, like I said, our, our legal career sort of paralleled and we started the firm together and, you know, it's, we literally, um, you know, I, I get really sentimental about this. We, we grew our lives together, you know, um, my, my daughter's called him uncle Troy. Um, I had lunch with Troy every single day of our entire career together. Did he have children? He did not. Okay. Um, you know, he was there when I met my wife, like literally there, you know, um, he was there the, you know, first couple of times we went out and did all these group things. He was at, you know, we were at each other's house every weekend and, um, you know, he and I, um, built the firm together because we wanted to work together, not because we thought it was a good business transaction. Right. I think we thought that too. We really respected each other as lawyers, but we wanted to, being a lawyer can suck enough. It can really suck if you don't like the people you work with. And, you know, I loved working with Troy, you know, and I loved the way we built our practice with me, Matt and Troy. Like we three would go into a room uh, and, and spitball the strategy of a case. And I come out of there being like, man, I am a better lawyer for just having been part of that conversation. You know, they were, I just really respect both of them as lawyers. And um, so it was in um, 2014, May, uh, May 1st, May 1st. Today's really? May 1st. That's yeah. crazy. May 1st of 2014. So uh, today's nine year. Um, I remember I had just landed in Denver. I was meeting my brother and um, Troy had had a colonoscopy. He had some symptoms and he said, hey, I've, I've got cancer. And his brother was a um, emergency physician in Vegas, um, or was had been for a long time, and so they were they were on it right away. Um, and he was going for chemo. Um, it had metastasized in his liver. They were going to have to take a part of his liver, and so it started a process of um, what ended up being about two and a half years two years and nine months or two, two years and six, seven, eight months, eight months of a fight with colon cancer, which included three different rounds of chemotherapy, two surgeries, um, all while he was working. And, um, one of the first pieces of advice I got when I started my own firm that I did not heed was when I left my firm, the, the guy who started this big international firm, you know, he flew out here, he talked to me, he tried to convince me and Troy to stay. And he said, all right, you guys are going to do great. One piece of advice, get key man insurance, get, um, you know, get insurance on each other, um, disability insurance. And we didn't, we didn't have any money for that. So we, thankfully we had great health insurance. He got all the care he could get. Um, and you know, the, on a life aspect of things, it just became very, um, sad's not the right word, um, discouraging to see the backslide of what became a good day for Troy, right? Like, even when he was in chemo, he was doing court appearances, he was here, and... and then as he moved on to the chemo, then after the surgery, then he could come for a couple hours, um, and then, then he couldn't come at all. Um, but he would try to like work from home a little bit. Um, and then like the, it, 
it just his world shrunk right like then the good day became when he could come downstairs in his house um and then a good day became when he could get up by himself out of bed um and then a good day became you know when the pain meds weren't making him so delirious that you could have a good conversation you know a a a real conversation with him um and his world just shrunk to that singularity of pain meds to maintain um and and him in his bed and um you know i think up until that point in my life i had lived a very very selfish life um you know shortly before he was diagnosed two months before he he was diagnosed um uh, I stopped drinking and doing any sort of mind-altering substances of any kind, and I never have since. And um, Before he was diagnosed? Two months before he was diagnosed. So there was no correlation? No correlation. Um, but except for God's plan, um, for me to be there for him and to bear witness to his life and the, and the end of his life and to be able to be a part of his family and to express to them and to eulogize him um, for them so that they know a whole different aspect of their life, his life that they would not, not have otherwise known, to know that he was a brilliant attorney, to know that he created a whole practice area that had never previous, previously existed in Las Vegas or Nevada or anywhere else as far as I knew, uh, as far as being a short sale and, and loan modification attorney. And... Um, you know, to, to be able to like sit next to him as he passed and bear witness to somebody's life, you know, it just, it gave me a different appreciation for what we're supposed to do for each other in these moments. And, um, you know, I just, funny enough, I just, uh, lost my dad two months ago and it was very similar in, you know, um, what I saw my role as to bear witness to the end of my dad's life, to be present next to him in the hospital bed, um, as he passed. And, um, you know, hopefully my kids see that. And we've said that like in the Watkins family, when a loved one is sick, you go and you be with them, um, no matter what it costs. And, um, so from a business standpoint, I mean, that's sort of secondary, but, um, but there one question I have, yeah. and I'm so sorry to hear about your dad. I didn't know that. Thank you. Um, how did you not like fall back into addiction during that time? I feel like that would have been such a, you know, what? Like, did it weirdly well, help you? One of the things I'll say about, um, being a recovered alcoholic is that like, I think alcoholics are great in crisis. You know, they, they have like that can take all their focus and attention. And when they're needed, they're good because they have something to do. They're worse when things are going better, but we were talking about Troy and that just happens to be, uh, a, I don't think it was just happens to be coincidence. I really do think that, you know, God got me sober, uh, in time to be there for for my friend, um, for the next two and a half years of the fight of his life. And then there was this, what was odd about it is there was this time period in which he was done with surgeries he was done with chemo and 
there was no indication that he had any cancer. And at that point, we thought we were in the clear. And that's when I decided to run for office. Mm. And then it was about two months later that he went in for his, you go get these PET scans where they scan your whole body and it, and it, and it lights up if there's any cancerous um, cells in your body. And, you know, after you've been cleared, you go through three of those that are staged out every couple months. And if you clear three, then they say, like, no evidence of disease and, you know, things are looking good. And on that last one, the third one, a little speck, a little speck lit up. And, like, now I know that the doctors knew then that it was it. Just that little speck, that they'd already thrown everything at it. And if any of it had survived, they had nothing else to throw at it. Um, so what happened next? Like, did they try again? Yes. Or? He went through chemo again. And he went through all <laughs> kinds of different, try to do different therapies. You know, we did, um, you know, I did a vegan diet with him um, because the the theory of like sugar feeds cancer and you get off all these, you know, carcinogen based foods. So it's a super raw vegan diet. And I did it with him. And, you know, it was when you when you talk to his brother now, like he describes it as like, you know, cancer had the football on the one yard line and there was, you know, the odds of us being able to stop that and go 99 yards the other way was it was going to take a miracle. But he never like I didn't appreciate that the whole time. You know, I didn't I didn't understand that the whole time. I mean, I. Well, you probably also had hope, right? So much hope. Well, and he did, you know, oh my gosh, you know, Troy fought like tooth and nail for every day he had on this earth, man. Like even at the end, he, like one of the last conversations I had with him was like, okay, what else do I need to do? Like he was in incredible amounts of pain. I think like anybody, like, Anybody that I can think of that I know that I myself, I'm, I'll speak for myself, like in that amount of pain would have wanted it to end. And he was like he would put up with all of that to have one more day on this earth. Like he would do it. That's how much he like was full of life and enjoyed this world, you know, and I can wake up in the morning and just be like, Ugh, you know, and just spit on the morning and spit on the day that's given to me out of like stress or or what have you things aren't going the way that I think that they should be going and you know having that memory of Troy is like something that can bring me back like give me some perspective of appreciation of you know what would have Troy gotten to have this day that I'm having right now and I'm taking for granted you know I gotta get my perspective shifted and so from a business perspective, ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, everybody stood up um, and just double-timed it. Everybody loved Troy. He was a beloved figure at our firm, and everybody was willing to do whatever they could for him and for the family and for us and for me and Matt. And, you know, Matt took on a big part of it because at the, you know, six weeks before he passed away, seven weeks before he passed away, I won my election. I was in the on the election night, I was in the hospital room sitting next to him and he watched the results come in and he saw me win. And then, um, two weeks after he passed, uh, passed on December 28th, 
uh, two weeks after he passed, I moved me and my family up to Carson City to get ready to serve 120 days in the legislature. So Matt was just here doing it all. Damn. Yeah. So, I mean, we've learned some lessons from all that stuff, but I mean, you, the, the firm will never, you know, can never quite be the same without him. Um, we still have um, three people that work with us who worked with him. Not including including you and Matt or not including? Not, not including me and Matt. Three well, staffers. I think you mentioned Troy like the first time we spoke. Like you definitely keep him very alive. Yeah. And, you know, we have like he, there's a picture of him still in my office. We He's still on our letterhead. We do not take him off our letterhead. We didn't change our firm name from Atkinson, Watkins and Hoffman to Watkins and Hoffman. He's He's on the firm name, always will be. Um, and, uh, you know, I still am in very close contact with his family. You know, his mom says that I'm her son and, um, you know, I feel that way about her and his dad and his brother. And I do a yearly trip with his brother and his nephew. And, and so, um, you know, there's so many positive ways in which he impacted my life and all those around everybody who. He's one of those people that just like, when I eulogized him at, at his funeral, I said, you know, I started off by saying, you know, Tr- Troy was my best friend. And there's probably a dozen people in this room right now saying, no, he wasn't. He was my best friend. <laughs> and they're all true. It's all true. He was that kind of guy. And uh, so, you know, he's missed. And I, I wish I talked about it more often. I should. Um, I'm bummed I, I didn't get to, get to meet him. Good. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you'd like to. He's, everybody liked him. There's nothing not to like about you. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that with me. You're welcome. Thank you so much to Justin Watkins for everything he shared with us today. If you found this story valuable, please share it with someone you want to see succeed and subscribe so you never miss an episode. And leave a five-star review. It goes a long way to help others discover the show. See you guys next week. Mm-hmm.